Noah and Kate, Chapter 30 Kate had timed it perfectly, pulling up to Noah's duplex with a gooey double-cheese pizza and a six-pack of beer just after eleven that night. She sat in the car for a moment and checked her reflection in the rearview mirror. Pale light from the building made her just able to make out her own features. Her face was flushed, her eyes looked large and luminous, and even her hair looked half-decent. All the way over here, she'd tried to settle her nerves with music, or thoughts about her business, or random things like how to defrost the cabin's 40-year-old fridge. Nothing worked. Every song on the radio was about being frantically in love, for one thing, and when she switched stations and was plunged into the middle of Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls and heard the baleful line, Do you want to get married or run away? She had to switch the radio off. Tonight was a happy night, damn it. She was going to enjoy it. She kept replaying their text messages through her mind, reminding herself again and again how impossible and incredible and crazy exciting it was that Noah Kincaid was sending her sexy messages. What woman in her right mind would remain rational and even-keeled in a situation like that? Big hint, not her. Don't get your hopes up, missy. This was another one of her mother's cynical mantras. Whenever Kate had expressed glee over some upcoming event, like a school poetry contest or a spelling bee, and after hearing it so often over the years, Kate had learned to keep her hopes permanently anchored to the earth. But not now. Now, she was beginning to get to know this thing called hope, this little gem of a thing sparkling in her mind, and she liked it very much. So she took deep breaths, inhaling the intoxicating aroma of pizza mingling with hot cardboard, and got out of the car. Noah's truck was parked at the far end of the lot next to his bike, and Kate's buzzy little butterflies did a happy dance, knowing he was home and waiting for her. She had texted him after leaving the pizzeria to say she was on the way, but he hadn't replied yet. A soft glow from his bathroom window told her he was probably still in the shower. Or maybe, lying on the bed naked, waiting for her? She blushed at her own imagination, but didn't chide herself. Why shouldn't she imagine him all nude and lewd? He was so damn good at it, after all. She locked up the car and balanced the pizza and beer against her hip as she adjusted the shoulder strap of her purse. She needed three hands, she thought, and promptly dropped the keys. Four hands, then. Keys back in her purse purse secured over her shoulder, pizza rescued from the weight of the beer cans bowing the box lid. She took another deep breath, blew her hair out of her eyes, and headed for the building. The hallway was dark and still, but a thin strip of pale, faint light glowed from beneath Noah's door. She propped the pizza against her hip and rang the bell. She heard nothing for a moment. Then came Noah's muted voice, watery and faint, telling her to come in. Maybe he really was on the bed, she thought impishly, and let herself in. The living room was dark, with only the light over the kitchen stove providing any illumination, and so she made her way back to the bedroom, which was brightly lit by the overhead fixture. It was too bright, too glaring, and didn't feel cozy or sexy at all. The ensuite bathroom light switched off then, and Noah emerged, wearing a faded T-shirt and boxers that stuck to his wet skin, and looked very uncomfortable, like he'd pulled them on without even drying off first. 
His uniform was strewn on the floor in a trail leading from the door to the bathroom, as though he'd torn it off and discarded it as he went. Something was wrong. She put the pizza and beer down on the dresser and started towards him, startled by the sight of him. His face, his eyes, he, he looked like he'd been crying. He tried to hide it with a weak smile, but as she went to him, he opened his arms to her and pulled her close, hugging her tightly. He buried his face in her hair and drew in a deep, ragged breath. Noah, what's wrong? she asked, trying to steady her voice. What happened? He didn't respond, only held her closer. Is it Luna? she asked on a fearful whisper, preparing herself for a blow. Did she pass out again? No, no, it's not Luna, he said, and pulled back to look at her. I'll call you if I ever have to pick her up and let you know what's going on. I'll call you, Kate thought grimly. From where? Panama? It wasn't the time to remind him he wasn't going to be here to run any calls out to Luna's or anywhere else in this town, but she almost couldn't bear how often he seemed to forget. At least Luna was okay, and she took comfort in that. Then what is it? she asked, reaching up to touch his face. He shied away from her touch, and it felt like he was embarrassed by the attention. He moved from her and went to sit on the bed. It's nothing. I just had a rough shift. Kate waited, watching him stoop to pick up a pair of socks from the floor and work them into a ball. She didn't know what to say, or whether he wanted her to sit with him or be left alone. Tension radiated from him as he focused on the socks, and her heart ached for him. She didn't care if he was trying to be all stoic and manly man. She could feel his need for comfort, and felt her own need to give it to him. She sat beside him on the end of the bed, and gently rubbed between his shoulder blades. Do you want to talk about it? He let out a mirthless laugh. <laughs> Not really. He turned to look at her and smiled. Sorry, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but no thank you. I'll have to spend tomorrow talking with the critical incident counselor as it is. Kate's heart kicked up. Critical incident counselor? Back in the city a few years ago, the drowsiness of a random Tuesday afternoon had been shattered when a man with a gun had stormed into the office looking for his ex-wife. He'd fired rounds into the ceiling and bellowed her name, roaming the cubicles until he found her cowering beneath her desk. He'd put the gun to his own temple and fired, leaving her with a horrifying image she'd never forget, and many of her co-workers shocked into near hysteria. Kate hadn't been in the office that day, but she'd been part of the team of critical incident and trauma counselors called in to help the staff process what had happened. If Noah needed to speak to a critical incident counselor, what happened? She asked, her imagination tormenting her with a hundred possibilities. Are you okay? I'm fine, he said. Nothing happened, he said, emphasizing the word. Nothing that hasn't happened a thousand times before. It was a bad call, that's all. That wasn't all, and she knew it. Please, tell me. He turned to look at her, his eyes searching hers. And in that moment, she could see that he wanted to tell someone. His eyes were cautious, too, as if he wasn't sure he wanted it to be her. You don't need to hear about this, 
he said quietly, a mild warning in his tone. I know you want to help, but this was pretty bad. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. There'll be criminal charges involved. Tell me whatever you can, she offered. He sighed, and she could see how badly he wanted to tell her, and yet how badly he didn't. He looked down and slowly began to unball the socks again. Well, he finally said, as a long gust of air escaped from his lungs, making him even look deflated. Long and short of it, these two teenage kids... His voice faltered a bit, and he cleared his throat. <clears throat> they, uh, got hit by a bus on the road between here and Dunmore. Oh, that's awful. Bus was empty, thank God, but the driver was drunk, son of a bitch. Noah's voice was low and bitter, and she could feel the anger emanating from him, tightly controlled but turbulent. When the cops rolled up, he got back in the bus and tried to take off. While we were still, I mean, he swallowed and closed his eyes. I don't know how to say any of this without putting images in your head, Kate. It was a shit show. It's okay, she said gently. Take your time. His eyes went to the floor, and Kate could almost feel him thinking. He was trying to decide what to tell her and how. She gave him time to frame things the way he needed to, and when he spoke again, she could sense his need to approach it from a safer distance than right in the traumatic middle of it. You know, most of my shifts are pretty boring, he began, like Luna or Bill, the bookstore. Bullshit, basically. Nothing wrong with the patient. They're just wasting our time, if I'm being honest. She was alarmed by the tightness in his voice and his blunt appraisal of two situations in which she'd seen firsthand how caring and empathetic he usually was. Which is okay, and it's not the end of the world, he allowed. And of course, I'm not saying I want people to be so sick or injured that they really need us. But still, it can be frustrating. Two trained medics in a rolling emergency room, and we spend 80% of our time transporting healthy people to the ER because they're hungry or stressed, or drunk. Either that, or we're a taxi service for people with an appointment at the hospital. Kate just kept rubbing his back, hoping she could loosen the tension in his muscles. No matter what anyone says, every paramedic wants to make a difference, at least once. Every one of us hopes to be the reason someone survives. There's no better feeling than going from VSA to sinus rhythm he stopped and amended his medical ease, then restoring someone's pulse and breathing when they were clinically dead. It feels... I can't even describe it. It feels amazing to watch a little piece of hot dog fly out of a choking kid's mouth and to see his color return. And I've been lucky enough to help deliver a baby twice. I mean, there's absolutely no better feeling. It's a loud, crazy, chaotic mess, but it's beautiful. Kate smiled, imagining such a scene. But something they teach you from day one is that you can't save everyone. It's not like TV. If you do get a serious call, chances are there's nothing you can do. He kept looking at the floor, twisting his socks into a ball again. And I know that, 
God, how could I not know that after all these years? I can count on one hand the number of times I've brought someone back or was solely responsible for saving their life. But still... A muscle in his cheek flexed, and he took a moment before continuing. Tonight, when we rolled up... <sighs> My God, Kate, the bus... The bus was a mangled wreck. I've never seen anything like it. The driver had... I'd hit these two kids, dragged them. The driver walked away with a few scratches, of course, like they always fucking do. He threw the sock ball across the room. He'll be charged with DUI, not double manslaughter like he ought to be. Kate winced. So the kids hadn't survived. She hadn't thought this story was going to have a happy ending, but hearing it described so bleakly was painful. Emma worked on the girl who was near the back end of the bus, and fire got out the jaws of life and freed her from the wreck, he continued. She, um, she, the girl, I mean, she was red tag, and Emma thought she had a chance. He looked over at Kate and must have seen her frown of confusion. We have a colored triage tags at MCI's. Oh, sorry. Multi-casualty incidents. So we can assess everyone quickly and know who has the best chance of survival. The boy, I mean, I don't know how he survived at all to that point. He should have been black tag, meaning I should have left him and helped Emma with the girl. But I couldn't. I had to try. Of course, Kate murmured. Anyway, he sighed, and she got the feeling he was trying to speed up the story for both their sakes. The boy was still conscious, believe it or not, all I could do was get down on my stomach and sort of crawl under the bus a bit. He mimicked the movements of lowering his head and pulling himself along and reach out for his hand. He was able to reach back and take it, and so I just lay there with him, holding his hand and talking to him. Then the cops pulled up, and the fucking driver panicked and tried to drive off. It was a goddamn pile of twisted metal, and the asshole thought he could drive it. Oh, no. Don't tell me. The engine actually turned over, and when he gunned it, the whole thing started to roll forward, like towards the embankment. Do you know the one I mean? The sharp drop-off near the, the mile marker sign? I had to haul ass out of the way, or I'd have been caught up in the undercarriage as it went over. Kate's heart flared with fear, picturing Noah narrowly escaping death. She gripped his hand and squeezed willing herself not to say anything, but it was becoming much harder to prevent the tears she felt welling in her eyes. The boy died. <laughs> Obviously. She'd known that part was coming, too. But the flat, awful way Noah said it made her tears spill. She wiped at her eyes and gently ran her hand in circles over his back. You were there for him, she said. At least he wasn't alone. He helped him, even if you couldn't save him. I know, I know, Noah said. I don't need the pep talk, really. <sighs> I appreciate your trying. He smiled weakly at her. He leaned over and kissed her cheek. I really do. But it's okay. I've been doing this long enough. I know the score. And maybe that's the point. I know it too well. She nodded imagining this couldn't have been the first death he'd had to witness, powerless to do anything about it. But it was the first death he'd told her about, 
maybe the first he'd told anyone about. And the sliver of insight it gave her into his daily experience was jarring. The random brutality of it, the life-and-death struggle, the risk to his own safety. How was this anyone's job? How did you just go home at the end of your shift and put your feet up like someone who'd spent the day typing or flipping burgers? So then we worked on the girl in the rig. One of the fire guys drove for us so we could both be back there, he said. She's pretty bad, but we thought we had it there for a minute. Got her rhythm stabilized for a bit. But with kids, well, I mean, she wasn't a kid, maybe 15 or so. With young people, it can seem like they're improving. You can convince yourself you got them, but we lost her just outside the ER. I'm so sorry, Noah, Kate said again, uselessly. He looked down. It's okay. It's, it's part of the job, he said. It's just... He angled towards her then, his eyes bright and wet, and she knew then he'd been struggling not to cry. You can't help feeling responsible when you lose them. You can't help wondering if you did something wrong or you missed something. It can fuck you up. She hadn't heard Noah swear so casually before, and only deepened her sense that this rawness, this unguarded vulnerability she was seeing, was a rare glimpse into him that few ever saw. There was pain behind his words, too, and an anger she could feel radiating from him as he struggled to contain it. And maybe she should have expected it in this raw moment of honesty, but his next words shook her. They reminded me of us, he said, you and me, at that age. He was blonde, she was brunette. They both looked so young and innocent, and it just... It just sucker-punched me. He took Kate's hand in his and squeezed. His mom said they were on their first date. They were going to the movies in Dunmore, but they weren't old enough to drive, and they didn't want their moms to drive them. So they were waiting for that goddamn bus, the one that killed them. Kate didn't know what to say. She was only hearing about this accident secondhand, and already she was out of words for how bad she felt, how sad the situation was, and how useless apologies and words of solace seemed in the face of such loss. And to think that in that moment of chaos and brutality he was also thinking about the two of them as kids. She had no idea what to think about this, or how to respond. You talk to their parents? She finally asked gently. Yeah, <clears throat> he cleared his throat. His mom, anyway. She arrived on scene just before we were able to free the girl and go. I had to tell her about her son. Kate lowered her head onto his shoulder and held him. She hadn't even known about this part of his job, being the one to tell a mother her child had just died. How much emotional stress was one person supposed to take? Anyway, it was just... I just thought of us back then, he said. I don't know why that makes it harder, but it does. Some of the guys have little kids at home, and if they get a call involving a kid the same age, it just rips them apart. Sometimes it becomes almost like a flashback. You see them in your mind's eye over again, even years later. That sounds awful, she said. It sounded worse than awful. It sounded like emotional torture. But he wasn't looking for commiseration or sympathy. 
He was trying to get something out, and she was determined to let him. And for me, well... <sighs> he let out a sigh. I don't know why, but if I have a bad call somewhere, I can't look at that same spot again without thinking about what happened there. Like the other day at Carlino's. I lost a woman there last year. She choked on a french fry. Couldn't save her. I could almost see her there on the ground as I walked through the tables to find you. Oh, I'm so sorry, Noah. I had no idea, Kate said, appalled that she'd asked him to meet her there. I never would have asked you to come if... No, no, see, it's not just Carlino's, he said, squeezing her hand a few times for emphasis. It's, it's Main Street, where a couple of tourists were hit while crossing against the light five years ago. It's the boat launch where a car full of kids went into the lake two years ago. It's everywhere, Kate. I've seen everything in this town for nearly 15 years. I've been in almost every house, every business. Everywhere I look in this town, I have a memory of someone I couldn't save or some horrible situation I had to try to fix and couldn't. Even with the ones who get to hospital, I rarely get to find out what happened to them. Did that girl who nearly drowned make it... Was she brain-damaged for life? Did the guy I pulled out of a burning car make it through the night? He paused then and squeezed his eyes shut. When he opened them again, he turned so he was facing her. I'm sorry to burden you with everything, he said. I didn't mean to tell you all this, but I need you to know. You understand? She nodded, feeling tears spilling down her cheeks at the pain and anguish written all over his face. Of course I understand. You do a job most people couldn't even think about, let alone do. Of course you need someone to talk to. He closed his eyes and shook his head. No, that's not what I mean. He opened his eyes and looked up at her again. I mean, I need you to understand, Kitty. We haven't talked about it much, but I really desperately need you to understand. She swallowed past the painful lump in her throat and felt a few more tears slip down her cheeks. She knew what he was really talking about, and it made her stomach clench with dread. I don't just want to go, he said simply. I have to. I have to. I understand, she said. And she did. More than he knew, maybe. She understood the undertone of his words, and that the unspoken part of his assertion wasn't an assertion at all, but a plea. Let me go, he was saying. Please let me do this. Please, don't make me stay. I need a break, he said earnestly, looking into her eyes with such a fierce intensity that it almost took her breath away. Days like today are why I have to get away. I have to get away from it. It's not a choice anymore. In his keen gaze, she could see how desperately he wanted her to understand, even though something guarded lurked there as well. Bitter experience, maybe. It's not whim worship, it's not me being immature, he went on, and it sounded to Kate like these were accusations others had made about his desire to see the world. And I don't need a vacation, some two-week glimpse into a stress-free life that barely takes the edge off before I'm right back into it again. No one understands because they can't understand. They haven't been doing this for their entire adult life. They haven't seen the things I've seen. I 
get it. She soothed, rubbing her hand along the back of his shoulders. I need to do something else, he said, his eyes looking off into the middle distance. I love medicine. I love helping people. But I need to do it in a different way. So this charity, it's volunteer for now, but I know these organizations need full-time employees at every level to keep the charity running. I could see myself doing that so easily. Something productive, something that leads to a positive, tangible result. If I could help build a clinic or dig wells or vaccinate a village or, I don't know, train new medics or something, I could look at my work at the end of the day and know it wasn't all for nothing. On that last word, his voice broke, and Kate's heart did a little, too. I need a change of scenery, he went on after a painful pause, where everything I look at doesn't have some horrible memory attached to it. I need a clean slate, a place with no history, no ghosts. It had never occurred to her, not even once, that Cedar Lake might be full of bad memories for him. The town she had come back to for refuge and recovery, the place where she'd been the happiest as a child and which now offered her a chance at community and connection and love, how had she not seen that it was a place of sorrow and loss for him? And with that realization came another one, stark and bleak. She was part of Cedar Lake, too. She, too, would be a constant reminder of his past. He didn't just need to get away from this town, in other words. He needed a clean break from everything, including her. I have to go, Katie May he said quietly. I'll miss so much about this place, but I have to get away. And look, it's... I have to be honest, it's not like I can even put a time limit on it. Truth is, I don't know how long I'll be gone. He swallowed hard and took a deep, jagged breath before closing his eyes briefly. It could be years. It could be... Forever. He didn't need to say it. She heard it all the same, and the cold, hard truth of it landed on her with a painful thump. I mean, hey, I don't, I don't know for sure, he said, conciliatory, but not selling it very well. I just figure once I get out there and start doing something meaningful, it's going to be really hard to face coming back to more of this, he finished, to days like today and sore knees, sore back, the whole bit. There's dozens of countries I'd like to see. I could spend the next 20 years traveling and still not see everything. In other words, there isn't any point in waiting for me either. He might tire himself out in 10 or 15 years. He might come back home to a desk job or early retirement, but she couldn't wait that long. Not if she wanted to have kids. Please tell me you understand what I'm saying, he said need to know you understand. How bittersweet it was, this poignant if mute admission, that she had the power to make him stay, and how desperately he hoped she wouldn't. She didn't dare let herself think about what else he might be saying, about why she had the power to make him stay, when everything inside him was urging him to go. She couldn't let herself think about that, not now, not ever. You're right, you have to go, she said gently. You've been taking care of everyone else for so long. You need to take care of yourself now. He gazed at her, his eyes taking her in, 
bright and keen in the harsh light. He looked so tired then, so beleaguered, and her heart ached for him. He winced slightly, as though her words pained him. He slid his hand along her neck and into her hair as he rested his forehead against hers and closed his eyes. I don't deserve you, he whispered. How can you be so good to me? Because I love you, she thought. Because I've always loved you. Because you're the best man I've ever known and you deserve so much more than life has given you. Because you take so little and give so much and because you deserve to be happy, whether it's with me or not. And then she realized, by the way his eyes had opened and the way he had leaned back, looking at her, that she hadn't just thought this. She'd said it out loud. Katie, he said, his eyes starting to grow shimmery and wet. Surprise and fear and hope and a whole host of emotions were contained in that one word. Katie, I... The full-body blush began at her feet and moved up through her calves, tingled through her midsection and flushed down through her arms, where at least it wouldn't be noticed so much due to the sunburn she'd earned working in Luna's garden. But it reached her neck and face just fine, and she suddenly felt hot and sweaty, and like all the adrenaline in her body was gathering in her jaw, making it tremble. I would go with you, she said shakily. If you wanted me to go, I'd go with you, but I know that's not what you need. I know, you need to do this alone, and just for yourself, and God knows you deserve it. She squeezed her eyes shut so she didn't have to look at his soft gaze, and prayed no more tears would spill down her cheeks. She wasn't doing a very good job of selling this, not with admissions of love and offers to follow him and tears plopping down onto their joined hands. I'm just so sorry, he whispered, stroking her hair. Sorrier than you know. She nodded, eyes still closed, still hoping against hope to hear the same words from him that she'd so carelessly let drop. Would it be better or worse if he said he loved her too? Would that make parting from him easier, or would it rip her heart out even more? She didn't have to imagine how it would feel, because he'd fallen silent, and she knew that whichever way he felt about her, he wasn't about to say it out loud. They sat together for a long, endless moment, both looking down at their entwined hands, as though in each of them the echoes of their conversation were stirring and rising to the surface, committing to memory, becoming part of their story. The import of what each of them had said, and not said, was almost too big to talk about, but it could be thought about, ruminated on, regretted maybe, or cherished. Would you stay? he finally asked quietly, and for a wild moment she thought he was asking a theoretical question. If you were me, would you stay? Would you give up your dreams? Would you keep working at a job that was destroying you, just for me? But she quickly realized he wasn't asking such a monumental question. He was asking if she'd spend the night. Of course, she said, kissing his cheek. I, I, I don't mean, um, <clears throat> he began, awkwardly. Not for sex. I'm not, I'm not up for that. I just, just, I know, she said, and went to the door to switch off the blazing overhead light. The room, softly illuminated by only the faint glow from the stove light out in the kitchen, felt instantly more comforting. She climbed onto the bed and pulled him down onto his back, settling in beside him and fitting into his arms like she was made to be there. 
They lay together on top of his duvet, not bothering to undress or get beneath the blankets. She curled against him, tucking herself into his now dry, warm body and wrapping her arm and leg over him. He held her, resting his chin on top of her head. I just need a little rest, he said, his voice already sounding drowsy. An hour, maybe. Then we can heat up the pizza. Shh, she soothed. Just sleep. It's okay. Okay, he said. And within seconds, she felt his breath begin to slow, and the first gentle snoring sounds filled the room. Lying against him, feeling the slow, steady beat of his heart beneath her and the deep rise and fall of his chest as he slept, she was finally able to release the jumble of emotions that made her throat hurt and eyes sting. She held him tightly, focusing on every part of his body that hers was touching, feeling the slight weight of his arm cradling her to him. He had to go. He had to do it alone. He might never come back, and honestly, he probably shouldn't. And she had to let him. She closed her eyes and let tears spill quietly and worked hard to keep her breath steady. She'd never known how much his job was costing him. She, like everyone else in town, had simply accepted his cheerful attitude and easygoing demeanor at face value. Good old Noah, the big goof, always up for a bit of fun, always there when everyone needed him with a smile and a wink and a comforting hand, shrugging off getting stabbed, brushing off the horrors he had to deal with every time he went to work, putting up with disdain from his sister and everyone else who thought his wanderlust was immature and silly. She buried her face in the clean cotton of his T-shirt and breathed him in, trying to fix this moment in her memory, knowing it would be one of the only times she'd get to be this close to him. It took an agonizingly long time to fall asleep. <laughs>